Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must, not like, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and today we start chapter six, and I, I feel like I know you well enough to know that there are those out there um, who are thinking, 18 verses. <laughs> We're going through 18 verses. Jim, why are you going so fast? You know, why don't we, we look at, at giving and then praying and then fasting it's just, just, we're moving very fast here. And, and if that is you, I want to say very genuinely that there is something about your personality that I really, really like. <laughs> but I want to tell you that we're taking these 18 verses because there is a main point to these 18 verses. Jesus intended these 18 verses to, to be kept together. And so our hope in preaching, we, we preach, it's called expository preaching. Our ho- hope is to always make the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon, because we don't want to get lost. We don't want to lose the forest for the trees. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're hitting the forest today. But then there's a very healthy place to go back and examine each tree along the way if we want to. And next week, I'm going to do exactly that. We're going to go back and only look at prayer. But I did not feel that it would be wisest to look at prayer before looking at what Jesus is communicating very clearly through 18 whole verses. So what is it that Jesus is wanting to communicate? You probably picked it up during Ryan's reading. We see his main point uh, reiterated three times. First in verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
So what is the main point? Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus is not wanting us to do things, to go through religious motions just so we can be seen when really what's going on in public is very different than what's going on in private. And he goes so far to say in verse one, beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And so in Jesus's day, there were three very common ways that this would have played out. Three very public acts of worship in, in ancient Israel. It would have, they, this would have happened. The hypocrisy would have been shown through the giving of alms, through praying publicly, and then through fasting. So that's why Jesus gives us these three things, and that's why we're taking them all together this morning. And you know, when I, when I think about this, I can't help but think that we live in a really unique day and age. Now, I mean, we know that hypocrites have always been among us. Wolves have always existed among the sheep. But now, with mass communication the way that it is, with mass transportation the way that it is, wolves have the opportunity to rise at an unprecedented rate. And we have the opportunity to watch the rise and the fall of these wolves at an unprecedented rate. This decade alone... I won't name names, but we have seen the falls of some of the most famous and most influential pastors, both in our country and in our city. This week, if you read the same kind of news that I do, one of the most influential pastors in the Reformed world fell, and he fell very publicly. Some of these people were just very flawed Christians. Some of them were straight up wolves. But the reason that I say we live in a unique time is because when these people rise, not only do we see their rise and see their fall, but their falls have effects that falls like this never had in centuries past because we all see them. And we see some of these effects. You know, if you look at Barner Research, you know, you don't need to probably look at Barner Research to know that young people are leaving the church in droves right now. Barner would say six in 10 Americans between the ages of 23 and 38, six in 10 have left the church. And do you know the, the number one reason that they would cite for leaving the church? 63% of people between the ages of 23 and 38 who have left the church said that the main reason is because of hypocrisy in the church. Hypocrisy is the reason that they cite. And if you're here this morning and you've seen hypocrisy in the church and hypocrisy in the church, it doesn't sit well with you. I want you to look at this passage with me and see that it doesn't sit well with Jesus either. But Jesus doesn't leave the church. He doesn't forsake the church. He purifies the church. And so we're gonna look at this passage and I want us to see two things really clearly. I want us to be able to identify hypocrisy and know how to deal with hypocrisy. So those are the two things we're gonna do this morning. First, how do we identify hypocrisy? Well, I guess to identify it, we first need to define it. <laughs> So if you've studied any ancient Greek and, you know, being this close to RTS Orlando, I know that there are those out, out there who have studied ancient Greek. This word hypocrite is one of the easier words to remember because it's almost letter for letter brought from ancient Greek into, into English. 
It's hypocrite. <laughs> but the meaning of the ancient Greek word was slightly different. So in ancient, in ancient um, it, at least in this context, in ancient Israel, the word hypocrite, it meant actor. And these actors would have worn a mask. And so you've, you've maybe seen if you've looked at theater uh, businesses or maybe even a real movie theater, they, you can sometimes see the two white masks with the, you know, the smiley face and the frown face. This is literally what they wore. They would wear a mask, a mask that would portray a very different reality on the outside than that which is going on in the inside. And sometimes it would be the exact opposite. There would be this real smiley face, but on the inside, that person could be hurting. He could be in pain. He could be in anguish. And so what Jesus is saying is these are actors. And so you can see where our modern day word hypocrite comes from. And I would say that the way Jesus is using it, it has every bit of the negative tone that our modern word hypocrite contains. And so as I said, in Jesus's day, he's identifying hypocrites in three main areas in the life of the Jewish people. Hypocrites in giving, the giving of alms, hypocrites in praying, and hypocrites in fasting. Those are the three groups of people he identifies, so let's look at them. First, hypocrites in the giving of alms. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret and your your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, most people don't realize this, but our modern view of charity, it is 100% shaped by the Bible. You have scholars like John Stott who would say, you cannot find a culture that has not been influenced by the Bible and that has anywhere near the culture of charity that cultures that have been influenced by the Bible do. I mean, Christianity produced hospitals and orphanages and labor laws and, and rights for women, care for the widows. This is all a uniquely Christian thing. And even though most of these things, they did pop up post-Jesus, this would have, these would have been very normal things in the lives of your, your average Israelite. There were laws in the Old Testament that, that were intended to protect people, that were intended to, to uh, encourage charity among the people of God. And so here, here are two examples, one from Leviticus and one from Deuteronomy. If your brother becomes poor, And cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he he shall live with you. Or when you let your servant go, there was a law that said, You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. So there were all kinds of laws, and, and the Israelites and the Pharisees knew these laws, these laws to, to protect the needy, the marginalized, the at-risk, the poor. But these Pharisees, they were taking these, these laws, and they were just twisting them and using them in a way where they could say, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look how spiritual I am. I'm giving to the needy, I'm praying, and I'm fasting. Look at me. And 
Jesus actually says it's something akin to blowing a trumpet. <laughs> and we don't, we don't have any research that actually says that trumpet blowing was going on. Maybe it was, but at the very least, Jesus is saying, what you're doing, it's no less than blowing a trumpet and saying, look at the way that I'm giving. Look at the way that I care about the poor. And that obviously doesn't sit well with him. <laughs> Jesus sees it on the street corners and in the synagogues. And so do we. I saw a politician recently talking on national TV about how he gave this really generous charitable donation to somebody. He went on to tell us all exactly how much it cost. Just figured he, we'd be blessed by knowing how much he gave this person that had nothing to do with the interview that he was in. And some of you I know have noticed uh, people in our community who are really good at giving to the poor and helping the poor when the cameras are on. You, know, you take the cameras off though and they don't seem quite as concerned about the poor in our midst. We see this inside the church. You know, there is this tendency to not want to give large sums of money unless we're gonna recognize you in some way, you know? It doesn't have to be anything too significant, maybe just something subtle like my name on the side of the building that faces the biggest street. That'll work. And at some level, all right, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but you online givers, all right, how hard is it just to see the plate pass, you know? Are you a little tempted to be like, it's okay, online giver. <laughs> and a pretty good one too. <laughs> so that plate is gonna pass by. We all get this at some level. And Jesus' exhortation is that our, our right hand would not know what our left hand is doing which is obviously not to be taken literal because our hands don't think. But he's communicating something about the degree of secrecy that should be involved in our giving because there's something about secrecy that's good for a heart. I mean, you know, we see some, some people, I, I know you're out there, that giving is just such a part of your rhythm and you're doing it for all the right reasons. And you may even forget who you gave to. Because at the end of the day, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the joy of giving to people because God is glorified. That's what Jesus wants. And Jesus knows that when we give in public and in a boastful way, that at the end of the day, what we want isn't God. What we're worshiping isn't God. What we worship is the praise of man. That's why he wants it to be done in secret. So secondly, we, we've addressed giving, now praying. Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward, reward you. So you, if you look at this, you can see the desire to be seen right off the bat in where they're praying. <laughs> synagogues and street corners. All right, we're not talking about closets and back alleys. They are praying in a place that will, where people will be most likely to see what they're doing. They, I think there's good reason to think the way that Jesus is talking to them, that they may not even pray at all in private, but you put them on a street corner, they could turn it on. 
And then you see something else in verse seven, another problem with the way that they're praying. Jesus says that your heart isn't in it. Verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So the Gentiles in that day and age, they, they had these rote prayers that they would pray and, and there was a template and then it, they just, the view was the more times I can say this kind of template kind of prayer, the better it's gonna go for me. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, what you're doing is no better than what they're doing. And I was reading this, I was thinking about a, a prayer that we prayed in my house before every meal. Um, my, from what I understand, my great-grandparents prayed this prayer. My grandparents prayed this prayer. My parents prayed this prayer. And that, of course, was handed down to me. And it was actually a pretty good prayer, all right? And I think that there are, um, there are helpful places for a template prayer, especially with children, kind of your now I lay me type prayers. But I was a high schooler, still just every meal in my head, fast as I can, check that box. And I remember when I uh, was in high school, I was, inv- I was eating dinner at some friend's house and the mom who was a Christian said Jim would you pray for us I thought okay and I warp speed I went through my rote prayer Lord accept our thanks for these all my blessings we ask Christ's name amen <laughs> and, and so I looked up and they were all just staring at me <laughs> I don't even think they had had time to like close their eyes to pray and I was done and I'll never forget the, the mom said excuse me Jim did I catch a humada humada in that prayer <laughs> I, what, what in the world was that? And it was the first time I thought maybe I am heaping up empty phrases. I didn't have that category, but, but maybe, maybe I am doing something wrong in the way that I pray. Maybe my heart really isn't in it. So this obviously raises the question, is it okay to play, pray in public? As, as I just did, as I do most every week, is that even a thing that we should do anymore? Jesus seems to be coming down pretty harshly on praying in public. Well, the answer is absolutely no. Jesus is not saying that. We know that because Jesus prayed in public. Paul prayed in public. There are certain commands that, are, that necessitate public praying. But what Jesus is doing, he's not so, not so much getting after the location of the prayer. He's getting after the attitude of the prayer. That's what Jesus is doing in this text. And so I think, you know, when we're trying to figure out, is it okay to pray in public or not? Two helpful things that I go through is first I ask, all right, does this public prayer, does it line up with what's going on privately? Okay, if it doesn't, I probably don't need to pray it. And then secondly, who, who at the end of the day am I trying to put the focus on here? In this prayer, am I trying to direct people to God or am I trying to direct people to me? And we see examples in scripture, the most probably the most well-known would be Daniel. You know, there was a decree that was issued that no one can pray to anybody outside of Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be executed if you do that. And so certainly there would be incentive to not pray publicly. But what was the problem with Daniel? That's what he had always done. And so the text says that Daniel prayed in the upper room with the window open as he had always done. So is this kind of prayer lining up with what's going on in our private lives? I had lunch this week with a man that I know pretty well, and the waitress, after taking our order, he said, you know, we're, he said, excuse me, we're gonna pray in a moment, and we'd love to be praying for you. Is there anything that we can pray for in your life? 
And I know this guy, and I have every reason to believe that this 100% lines up with all the ways he prays in private. And I don't have any inkling to think that he was using that opportunity to put the spotlight on himself. So is it consistent? And who are we putting the spotlight on? And I'll be the first to admit, it is sometimes hard to figure out. <laughs> do, do I pray publicly at this meal you know, we're out at a restaurant. Do I pray at this business meeting? I just don't know. Do, do I pray in this hospital room? I mean, this is hard for me to figure out sometimes and I get to wear the pastor hat. And there's this phrase I've heard so many times, I don't know who to attribute it to anymore, but it's been helpful to me. And, and the phrase is, if you're tempted to remain silent, go public. And if you're tempted to go public, stay silent. That served me pretty well over these years, I think. All right, so we have giving, we have praying, and then lastly, we have fasting. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this one I think is a little more interesting because it's the one of the three things that isn't commanded. Okay? You're commanded to give, you're commanded to pray. Fasting, it's kind of optional. And so if you want to be seen as really, really spiritual, you would do the optional thing, right? And you would do it in a very public way. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. And we know that they would, they would dishevel their hair. They would put ashes on their face to make them look more miserable, make it communicate, I'm really, really suffering for the Lord here. They would put makeup in some cases on their face. They would tear their clothes, but there are documented cases where they would tear it on the seams. So later that day, they could, they could sew it back up and they weren't really, you know, out anything. And we know from Luke 18 that the Pharisees would do this twice a week and not just on any days, on the second and fifth day of the week, which, uh-oh, just happens to be the major public Jewish market day. What are you gonna do? We'll go on those busy days and we'll announce to the world that we're fasting. And I know that there are some of you in this room that you do fast and you do it the right way. And I wanna say that God is pleased in that. And because most of you know Drew Narmore, who filled in for me uh, last month after Angela's grandmother died, I, I want to tell you a story about Drew Narmore. Uh, some years back, I invited him to join me in CrossFit. And so we, were, we did our warm-up, and I noticed he was kind of huffing and puffing, and then we got, really got into the workout, and he was struggling. And I remember thinking, you look pretty fit, but really, you're kind of a lightweight here. <laughs> And then he started dry heaving and passing out. And we were about to call the ambulance when he finally decided to tell us that he had been fasting for some period of time now. God is pleased with that man, all right? There is a reward waiting for that man. But that is not what's happening in our text with our Pharisees. And, and I even think it's kind of hard for us to connect to because because. Fasting is just not a part of most evangelical Christians' rhythms. We fast from things like caffeine and social media. But then we post that we're fasting from caffeine and social media. So at some level, we all get this, all right? This connects to all of us here. 
And again, we see this gap between what we do privately and what we do publicly. And we see this tendency to want to put the spotlight on us, how great we are, how righteous we are. And Kevin DeYoung says that in these cases, we are using the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. I'm going to say that one more time. We're using the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. Jesus is identifying hypocrisy in these men's lives. And he's saying in the clearest possible ways, you do not worship God, you worship yourself and the praise of men. That's what's going on. And Jesus really only gives us these three examples, but I think we could probably develop a few more among us. (laughs) I think I could come up with dozens just from what I see on social media. You know, we see posts that basically say, look at how hospitable we are. (laughs) And I know my house is a wreck, but I'm that spiritual. I don't even care. You know, look at how great my kids are. Look at all they've accomplished. I'm so proud. Hashtag humbled, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Or my favorite, look at all these people I've shared the gospel with this week. Would you please pray for them? And maybe I'm just a cynic, but I don't think that's really why they're posting it. And I want to promise you, I did not come up with any of these categories from people in this room. So if you're feeling a level of conviction, that's the Holy Spirit, it's not Jim Davis. I would not pick on you that way. If I did, it'd at least be one-on-one into your face. But this is something I have to watch all the time. I mean, in, in my own blogging, in my own posting, I'm not saying that social media is bad. I'm saying that we constantly have to ask ourselves, who is it that we're drawing our attention to? And often, as I'm about to click that button, I know the answer is, Jim, and I need to back up. And if you're really paying attention to this series or you just really know your Bibles pretty well, there's a very important question that bubbles up to the top here. In chapter five, Jesus said to let your righteousness shine. In chapter six, he says, hide it. It feels in the same sermon like Jesus is saying two very different things. You may remember verse, chapter 5, verse 16. Same sermon, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that word good works, it's the exact same word as righteousness here in our passage. So what is Jesus doing? Well, he's speaking to two different types of people in the audience. In chapter five, he's speaking to cowards. And in chapter six, he's speaking to hypocrites. So he needs to tell the meek, you need to be brave and show your righteousness. Let it shine like a light, like a town on, the, on a hill. And to the hypocrites, he's saying, get out of the streets and public lives and deal with what's going on in private. So there is a consistency to what Jesus is saying here. That's identifying hypocrisy. The gap that exists between our our private lives and our public lives and almost 100% of the time, if we're worshiping and acting in a way that's drawing attention to ourselves, that's like a neon sign saying there's a gap. And if that's us, how do we deal with it? 
So when I said dealing with hypocrisy, you may have thought, oh, we're going to deal with other people's hypocrisy today. No, we're dealing with our own hypocrisy. And I was really convicted this week, this week of my own hypocrisy. Angela and I have been trying to clamp down on device use in our home. And, and, so, and we're communicating to our kids, I know it's fun, it's not good for you. There are more profitable things you can do. It limits the family interaction. We could be hanging out, playing games, whatever. And one of my children very aptly pointed out to me that I'm the home's worst offender. My hypocrisy was put out there. I'm a hypocrite. And maybe some of you very quickly would identify and say, yes, that's, that's me too. Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm a hypocrite or not. And if that's you, let me give you two, I think, helpful uh, signs that we might, we might trend in this direction. Uh, one is that we're overly critical, all right? If you're an overly critical person, you probably trend toward hypocrisy. That, that criticality is your mask. That's your way of feeling better about yourself. Feeling more righteousness, feeling more righteous. And that's exactly what's going on a chapter later in, in chapter seven. We're gonna get to it, but this is probably the most famous uh, verse on being a hypocrite. Jesus says in chapter seven, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clear to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, Jesus is dealing with the overly critical hypocrite. But then on the other side, if you're overly sensitive, you might trend towards hypocrisy. There's a reason that we can't handle critique and that's because every time someone critiques us, they're, they're pulling our mask just a little bit off and, and we, don't, we don't like that. We want that mask on. So if we trend towards overly critical or overly sensitive, there may be some hypocrisy that we need to deal with in our souls. And here's where we get to the root of hypocrisy. The root of hypocrisy is an authenticity issue. We're not being really who we are. We resist, in fact, letting people know who we are. And, and for some reason, I don't know why, young people can smell this a mile away. I mean, this is why so many people are, are leaving the church. They have this ability to smell out people who aren't, in their words, being authentic. But when we're, when we're holding on to this mask and trying to hide who we are, the only person that's really affecting and tearing apart at the end of the day is you. So the first step in dealing with our hypocrisy is admitting it, admitting it. And then secondly, repent of it. And so Angela made this point to me this week. She, uh, she was in campus college ministry for about 12 years and then we had all these babies and then she got back into college ministry and when she got back in she started she said these young women are totally different than just women 10 years ago because they're so willing to put what's going on in their life out on the table she said you know 15 years ago it would have taken months for me to be able to get out of them the things that they're telling me right off the bat so they're they're willing to admit it, but Angela would say these young people, they're not willing to repent of it. They think the moment that they laid it out there, they're good. And they're forgetting that there's a whole nother step is saying this is not right and I don't want to be this way and I repent of being a hypocrite. And I think here is where we get to one of the 
biggest misunderstandings about the Christian faith. Because we, we hear things like, all right, if you're going to be a Christian, your private life, you need to begin to conform it to the mask. That's what we think is going on. We, we think we need to clean ourselves up and then come to Jesus. And that isn't at all what Christianity is. Christianity is saying, take off the mask and walk to Jesus. Don't get cleaned up and, and get, let your, ma- your life match the mask and then come and try and be a good Christian. That's not Christianity. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting to wear a mask. It is mentally exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. And it is spiritually exhausting to try and constantly put on a mask so that people will think we're something that we're not. And often the people whose lives look the best on the outside have the biggest mask. And those people get into this, this perpetual cycle. The, the more profound the mask, the harder it is to keep up. But because it's so profound and I'm so known by the mask, I've got to work that much harder. Wearing a mask will kill us. And Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, take off that mask. You will never know the joy and the freedom that I have for you until you take off that mask. When I was being vetted by you about a year ago right now, (laughs) um, I remember saying a couple times that if there's one place that I could point to and say, I want the church to be more like this, it would be the recovery community. Because the, the recovery community is probably the most humble, gracious, and loving group of people I've ever been around. And do you know why they're that way? Because they've come to a point in their life where they, they're so exhausted, they take off their masks. They take off their masks, and they're in real community with each other, and that community is refreshing, and it's contagious. That's what Jesus wants his church to be like. So we admit it, we repent of it, but we can't stop there. The third and final step is then we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. You may remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. When they rebelled against God and then God was in the garden, what did they do right away? They hid. And it says they they realized their nakedness. And I I don't think it's simply nakedness that made them hide. They were exposed. They were exposed for who they were, for what they had done, and they ran behind the trees and hid. And those trees were Adam and Eve's masks. And so as we do steps one and two, and we remove our masks, that may very well help you in your family and your relationships and your work, but it's not going to help you in front of a holy and righteous God. Because you have just taken your mask off and you are seen for everything you are in front of a perfect and holy God. And Jesus says, let me be your mask. Jesus, who has no impurity, who has no sin, who has no blemish, is saying, I want God to look at you and see Jesus Christ. And so he came here to pay the sin, the penalty for our sin of hypocrisy so that we could be seen as Jesus That's the Christian message. Take off your mask and follow me. And when when God sees you, he will see nothing less 
than perfection. You know, some of you, some of you are so concerned that you're needed in this life. In Jesus Christ, you're wanted. You know, some of you, some of you are so concerned that people will love you for what you do. But in Jesus Christ, you're loved for who you are. This is the Christian message. But it's really important for me to say here that it's only half of the Christian message. And I think it is one of the greatest fallacies of the Western world that most Christian messages stop here. Most descriptions of the Christian faith stop here. But to stop here would be like having a four-chapter book and only reading two chapters. Because simply being accepted by God in the forgiveness of sin, that's only half the story. And Jesus in this text eludes to the rest of it. When he says no less than three times, if you do this, there will be a reward. So what is that reward? All right, I think we could do a sermon series through the whole fall on rewards, and I wouldn't even begin to claim that I know what all these rewards are. But as it pertains to our text, I do think that I can point out two things that this reward encompasses. And the first is that we will be made into the mask. So remember, Jesus says, let me be your mask. And the promise is, I'm going to make you into that image. That's exactly what the, the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed into the image of his son. There's a promise that, okay, forgiveness is getting you in, but I'm going to do a whole lot of work on you after that. I am going to make you into the perfect image of the mask that I am for you. And that leads to the second part of the reward, that Jesus is bringing us into a kingdom where no one will ever have to wear masks. When we are perfectly shaped into the the image of Jesus and we're in the new kingdom that he is bringing here, we're not gonna have to worry about being exposed. We're not gonna have to worry that people are gonna see who we are. We're not gonna experience hypocrisy. We will have the reward of living in the kingdom of God forever with him without any temptation to hide who God has made us to be. Those are two very important parts of the Christian message and why when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, we can't just stop at forgiveness of sins. That's chapter two of a four-chapter book. And I want to be the first to say that I understand that there are bad apples among us, all right? I think there are some bad churches among us. But if you look carefully at what Jesus is saying, he's saying that the church is the one place where hypocrisy should not reign. Church is the one safe place. Your work is going to tell you to wear a mask. Your school is going to tell you to wear a mask. Your gym, your club is going to tell you to wear a mask. Only in the church are you going to hear people say, take that mask off. There's a better one for you. You are accepted here simply by virtue of your desire to remove that mask. And for that reason, we need to take seriously the privilege of being in a church. Take seriously the opportunity to to go to each other's homes and eat together, to get to know each other, to pray together, to study the Bible together, to be in a community group together. We just finished our 
our Discover OGC class. The next one starts the Sunday after Easter. Join us, plug into this church. And when I say this church, I'm not talking about the building or the institution, I'm talking about the people. God has designed us to need each other. In our fallen state, we wanna be around each other and put masks up. And Jesus is saying, my design is that you would understand more about my character when the masks are removed and you receive nothing but love and acceptance. That is the hope of the church. That we would experience this and we would, by God's grace, bring more and more people into this kingdom that we have been brought into. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus didn't forsake the church and neither should you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that this church is a place for hypocrites. We thank you that you didn't write us off, you didn't write the church off, but you devoted yourself to purifying and redeeming your people and to bringing a kingdom that is truly greater than anything that Adam and Eve experienced. And so we pray this morning that, I pray that all of us, me included, that the desire to show who we really are would feel like a relief. That that we would want to take off our masks, that we would want to run to Jesus. And we would want to engage in real community among your people. And I pray that for those, those for whom this is true, that you would use us to show all the people around us who we love and care for that they can take their masks off too. That Orlando Grace Church would be a church that is being used in this, in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever it is that you have us. We ask this boldly because you tell us we can And because we're asking not on our merits, but that of your holy and perfect son, Jesus Christ. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen.